Okay, so um, I want to go back to my childhood. So when I was young, my birthday was a very important day in my life. Hmm? Must have been in yours also. So what I want to ask you, simple question, what was your birthday? What's your birthday? 1985. Okay, whatever, 1985. Now 1985 counted from what? From what epoch? From what time? You are counting 1985 from where? From birth of Christ. Okay. So, I said uh, uh, 1984 and uh, you are counting it from a birth of Christ which you consider as historical event. That was a correct guess. <laughs> that is what you will say. Hmm? So That's the typical answer, birth of Christ. Hmm? So, when you state your uh, year of birth, you are forced to tie it up to the birth of Jesus. And indirectly we are claiming that he was a historical figure, he was born so many years ago. What is your evidence for it? Bible. Bible doesn't say that he was born at this particular time. Bible was written 400 years later. How can Bible say that? So Jesus is a myth. Not a real historical figure. There is no evidence of any sort. I mean, there are these issues that some Roman historian you know, wrote something about it and so on. That's a forgery. Didn't write about it. So, point I am making is that you are forced to make a false historical statement. And because dates are stated often, so many times I have to state it. stated in my passport every time you go... Uh, you want to uh, change your, um, do some telebanking, they will ask you your date of birth. And you know this equation, thousand lies make a truth. And billions of people believe that there really was a Jesus because of this. And who was born at the beginning of the calendar. Now, let me put it like this. My date of birth is part of my identity, isn't it? It's there in my passport, it is there, it's a key identifying factor. Why should I have to tell this kind of a lie? I want to describe my identity truthfully. So what should I do? Becomes a big problem. Hmm? I have to tell a long, long, long story. So I have to first say that there was no historical Jesus. Just because you keep saying it doesn't mean there was a historical Jesus. The story of Jesus or Yesu, that J was pronounced as Yej. Yesu derives from the Egyptian mystery. Mystery is a symbolic story of E.C. And there were intervening entities. There was a Greek god of sexual love called Bacchus. And there was an Egyptian deity called Serapi. Asarapi. So, Osar is the Egyptian uh, deity again. And as the uh, Greek historian Herodotus said, the Greeks copied, he said the names of all the gods came from Egypt. And as Porphyry explained, Bacchus was Isi. So, that looks like a picture of um, Jesus. That's what you are shown hanging from a cross. But as it says, it's Orpheus Bacchus. 
That's what is written there. Hmm? So, Bakhus, symbol of Bakhus was also the cross. He was also born on the 25th of uh, December and so on. So this longer story is told in my book, Euclid and Jesus. And uh, it examines how this mystery story propagated, how it was changed. And there are other books where I have explained how Christian doctrine got transformed by the church. All right. Now we can ask what difference does it make whether there was a Jesus, there wasn't. What difference does it make to me? Does it make any difference? Because that's the critical issue about history. We are not talking about the past. We are talking about the future. So, let me give a simple example. This is one of the things I mentioned. Lots of people today say Christianity is an Abrahamic religion. Many people say that. That's not true. It's not true because if you see this derivation that it is coming from Egypt and you see the beliefs of pre-Nicene Christians like Oregon of Alexandria. They are very similar to the Kansanskar of Hinduism. In fact, uh, Augustine accuses Porphyry of following the modes and traditions of Ind. And this is described in great detail in my book, 11 Pictures of Time. And I have got quotes from Oregon's Deep Principles on my website. What kind of beliefs he has. So that depends upon time beliefs and those time beliefs are critical, for example, to science. Calendar is also an aspect of measuring time. And this is described in my book, 11 Pictures of Time. Looks at the clock, where the Hagia Sophia, where the curse on cyclic time was pronounced. And there is the Blue Mosque in Istanbul or Constantinople. Now, the point is that uh, when you relate your birth to the Jesus, that's not only a falsehood, it's a deliberate falsehood which is taught to you. Why? Because we know that the zero point of the calendar was not fixed then. It was fixed in the 6th century by Dionysius Exegus and he did it in order to calculate the date of Easter. That was the function of the calendar to calculate the date of Easter. And he did back calculation, said so many cycles and then he said, therefore, uh, Jesus was conceived, virgin birth at some point and therefore he was born nine months later and that's how he fixed the calendar. This was his conjecture, his speculation based on the 6th century, nothing to do with any facts, pure myth. So we know that it was fixed in the 6th century. So you say somebody was there, somebody saw it happening and so on, that's different. After 600 years, you are speculating what happened, you can speculate anything you like. There are further things that are there. Along with ABCD, you learn the ADBC superstition. So you learn AD. I was told when you put a date, you must put AD in front of it. Lots of historians do it, AD. So if you say 1987 or something, you should say AD. What does AD mean? Anno Domini. And what does Anno Domini mean? No. Year, Anno is year, year of our Lord. Alright? Year of our Lord. So who is your Lord? You're saying it, aren't you? You're saying it, year of, our, year of my Lord. So, who you're acknowledging Jesus as your Lord and dominator. Alright? Similarly, when you say BC. So, you say BC, when you're referring to old historical dates, you say BC. Why do you say BC? What does BC mean? Before Christ. 
Now what is Christ? You used that word earlier. Is it a surname for Jesus? It's not a surname, right? It's an appellation. And it means saviour. Alright? So you are admitting the Christian belief that Jesus is your saviour. He is your Lord and He is your saviour. With every date you state, so many times you have to state dates, you are making that acknowledgement. Let me give you an example. Suppose children were asked to repeat, with every date they state, in the year of our Lord Ram, before our Saviour Ram, you think it would be acceptable? Everybody will object. Why should you have to take the name of Ram just to state a date? So why should you have to take the name of Jesus just to state a date? At least for Ram you have a big uh, book, describes all sorts of things that he did. You don't have anything like that. The story of Jesus is the story of Isi, is the story of Bakus. That he was born of a virgin mother and died on the cross. It's an old story. But anyway, you should object to the ADBC superstition. Why should I have to say this? Alright, so what do you do? Simple way out. You use neutral terminology. You say CE, meaning Christian era. There is mischief there. That CE is changed to uh, common era. Now what is common about it? So you are acknowledging that commonality because that's part of Christian triumphalist history that Christianity will be universal. So this is all common. So that's not right. Now what happens is, so if I want to state a date and in my books, very often I want to state dates and I say, now if I am writing a book for a lay person, I have to start with a long story. I am going to state CE. CE means this because... Jesus is not a historical figure and see, he does not mean um, uh, common era, it means Christian era. I have to tell such a long story just to state a date. Why is that so? So I would say, I mean, uh, that this is because of your bad education. You have been deliberately, certain things have been inculcated to make it very difficult for me to say what I want to say in neutral terms. I want to state a simple thing like a date and I cannot do it without giving a long preface. This is very bad and that is because you learnt those dates as children that was indoctrinated. So if I have to communicate with you, I have to start with such a long preface, which is irrelevant to what I want to say. Hmm? So children don't ask questions, you are just taught. You say, okay, must be, must be, you don't check. And so this shows how you get indoctrinated. You start believing in this, you start saying all this. This is just a simple example. So, that is the aim of church education and colonial education was church education when it came here. Came to India in 1857 in a big way. It was there from long back. The first college was started by Jesuits something around 1550, 1552. It was a school earlier. But in a big way, Presidency College also started around 1817, 1819, something like that. In a big way, it came in 1857. At that time, it was a church monopoly. And the church interest in education is to indoctrinate. That's what colonial education does. And the first thing it teaches you, that everything you do at home is wrong. The clothes you wear, the language you speak. So in my school, there was a rule, you must speak in English, otherwise you will be punished. You must wear the proper kinds of clothes. You must wear a tie. How you eat, you must eat with knife and fork. If you go to a public school, it's a very important thing that is taught. And what you eat? Oh, you are vegetarian, inferior. <laughs> this is the whole thing that you are inferior because of what you do. And you become superior only by imitating. 
That's the second lesson. The best is superior, so you must imitate the best in every way. In what clothes you wear, in what language you speak, in your beliefs. And in the calendar, we have taken that calendar claiming it to be superior. So, I learned to do that in school to wear ties and shoes and feel superior. Oh, I know how to tie, you know, the knot in so many different ways and so on. I can speak English well and this guy doesn't understand English, so he's inferior, I'm superior. You know, you, I can eat with knife and fork, he doesn't have the table manners. So, he's inferior, I'm superior, I know that. And I can say AD and BC and this chap doesn't understand. So, this was the central teaching of church racist colonial history that it glorified itself, taught superiority for trifling reasons such as the clothes you wear, the skin color and so on, but they can be important. You know, in uh, Australia, I was attacked by a racist dog in front of Sydney University because I was wearing kutta pajama and so he said, this guy is inferior, he should be attacked. That's what the dog thought and that's what his master encouraged him to do. So, I have a long article on that, won't go into it. Okay. So, this is an example of uh, the school students I was interacting with in Jabalpur. You see, all of them wearing ties, Christian hijab. And why should you wear ties in India when it's very hot, for example? Doesn't make sense. It's contrary to common sense. So, you do things which are contrary to common sense and feel superior. That's the idea of colonial education. Alright. So, now I want to fix this to the calendar. We have adopted the calendar. Why? Because it is superior. Why is it superior? So, I have a right to ask that question. Why is it superior? Let us examine the matter scientifically. Is it superior? Who examined it scientifically? That's the question. Hmm? Did you examine it? Did you look at the calendar? Did you look at the panchang? Did you make a comparison? Did you say, alright, this is superior for this, this, this reason? And why should we not do it? And why should we not do it in a very public way? Because it is something which affects everybody. It should be done in a very public way. So, let us put it, uh, science, I mean, there are people who do science by secretive refereeing and so on. That's not science. Anything which involves trust in somebody is not science. It should be on the table. Then it is science. So, actually, now what I am going to tell you is just the opposite story. That if you look at the Western calendar, it is very strong evidence of persistent Western inferiority in mathematics and science. That is what it is evidence for. Persistent inferiority for centuries. Inability to understand basic things about mathematics and astronomy. So, let us start from the beginning. Where did the Greeks and Romans get their calendar from? Herodotus tells us they not only copied their gods, they copied their calendar from Egypt. Alright. Copied their calendar, but they were bad at mathematics and astronomy, so they could not maintain it. You see, it's not a trivial matter. The lunar cycle and the solar cycle are not commensurate. So, maintaining a calendar is a difficult task. It involves quite a bit of um, calculations. And they were no good at calculation. They were arithmetically incompetent. How do I say that? On what basis do I say that? Very simple. I'll show it to you. First, let's, uh, well, let's proceed with the story, then you get to it. The Romans used to laugh at the Greeks, Greek calendars. There are, you know, so many... Their witticisms, that the Greeks didn't have calendars, it's all confusion and so on. So, their month had nothing to do with the lunar cycle, of course. But the Roman calendar, the Romans laughed at them, the Roman calendar was equally bad. It was hopelessly bad. How hopelessly bad? So, in minus 48 C, so you see, you have to use minus, 
didn't have a minus sign. The Romans didn't have a minus sign. They didn't have zero. But we have, so we use minus 48. So Julius Caesar conquered Egypt. And then with the help of an Egyptian astronomer, Sosigenes, he reformed the Roman calendar in minus 46 C. Great fanfare. That's what is called the Julian calendar. I would just like to make an aside that what this shows is that culture flows towards the barbarian military conqueror. Julius Caesar is not the only example. Plenty of other examples. I have a big thesis on that. Hulegu, for example, or Alexander, for example, and so on. So, when Alexander conquered Persia, Persian architecture went to Greece, and so on. Lots of such examples. So, culture flows towards the conqueror. This whole idea that you had this glorious conqueror who came and spread culture is nonsense. And this is a particular example. that The Romans could modify their calendar only with the help of Egyptians. How, how much did they have to change? They had to have a year of 445 days to align the calendar back to the equinoxes. 445 days, you see how wrong it was. That's a quantitative, not an estimate, a factual account of how much error there was. This is absolutely hopeless, they couldn't count. <laughs> so the Egyptians gave them a very easy way of doing things. They said that since you are unable to correlate months with the cycle of the moon, which is a fraction, how do you write a fraction in Roman numerals? You can't. Hmm? There is no system for fractions. They don't have any notation for fractions. So they could not do it. It was a very tough job for them. So they said, all right, they gave a simple calendrical system in which months are not related to the cycle of the moon. Just do 30 days, 31 days, alternate with that. Hmm? Alternate with that, you will get your 365 days and then have a system of a leap year, every fourth year. Simple thing. Very simple, no complication. They muffed it. <laughs> So, they called it, they call it the Julian calendar that Julius Caesar did it, but they didn't even understand that simple instruction. So, if you see the first few years, what they did was every third year was made into a leap year. So, this creates confusion. Hmm? Created confusion for about 40-50 years. They couldn't correct it. Every third year, they kept making a leap year. Then came Augustus Caesar. He corrected it, caught the mistake. He said, well, I have done a great thing. Therefore, a month should be named after me. July is named after Julius. So, August should be named after me. So, it was named after him. Then he said, alright, I am not a smaller Caesar than him. So, it should also have 31 days. So, they took one day, mid-August 31 days. Where did that day come from? came from February. So, now February has got two days less. Those days have been stolen from there. They have forgotten about system, forgotten about science. It's the vanities of emperors which count. Totally unscientific. Hmm? So, you have got 28 days, 29 days, 30 days, 31 days. How can it be anything to do with the cycle of the moon? No connection whatsoever. Right? That's completely unscientific. Nothing to do with natural phenomena. So, this is non-textual evidence. A calendar is non-textual evidence. A text you read and you fill in all kinds of um, speculations and so on. You can make it mean whatever you like. This is much more robust. There is no speculation here. This is the calendar in front of you. You are still using it. So, they could not keep track of the lunar cycle. So, they were inferior in astronomy. That's the lesson that comes across. And that's from non-textual evidence, which is more robust than textual evidence. Now, people say, oh, lunar cycle, very difficult. What about solar cycle? Do you think the Romans could manage the solar cycle? Even after Augustus, they couldn't manage that. 
Why not? The system of leap years, every fourth year, means that you are taking the length of the year to be 365 one fourth day. Right? Is it right? It's not right. Even if that is what you were taught in school, it is wrong. It is wrong, it is hopelessly wrong and it is hopelessly wrong by the standards of the times. So let me show you. So they taught it to you in school. It's 365 and one fourth day. You probably learnt it and you are looking a bit surprised. But they teach you all kinds of wrong things just to indoctrinate you. What can I do? It's a simple natural phenomenon. You look up in the sky and you will be able to see everything. You should observe it. But they don't teach you astronomy in school. It's part of your daily experience. It's not taught. You should ask why not. So let's distinguish between different types of years. The tropical year is the time between two equinoxes of the same type, summer to summer. Yesterday was equinox. Equinox means equal nights. Its duration is 365.242 days. Not 365.25 days. What difference does it make? Second decimal place, Wikipedia says, oh, see how accurate it is. So, first of all, you see why they couldn't write it like that. They couldn't say 365.24. Because 242, you have to write a fraction. How do you write a fraction in Roman numerals? There is no system or in Greek Roman numerals. It's a very complicated system. In early Greek and Roman numerals, around the 9th, 10th century, they started writing using a different system. But before that, they had only simple fractions, parts of 12. So, one-fourth is a part of 12. Three parts out of twelve. They understood it. They couldn't write it. They couldn't say it. And as you'll see, even in the Gregorian reform, they couldn't say it. They said it in a very roundabout way. So they were arithmetically challenged, both Greeks and Romans, because of their inability to use fractions. Therefore, they couldn't say the uh, correct length of the tropical year. Once more, what difference does it make? See, state of fact, they are arithmetically challenged. What difference does it make? So let's see what actually happened. So, in the 4th century, the Nicene Council, the only point on its agenda was to fix the date of Easter. Because different people were celebrating Easter on different days. And the basic idea was that if you have common rituals, it makes for a common religion. So, they wanted to reconcile it. Everybody should celebrate Easter on a particular day. So, at that time, they adopted the Julian calendar as the religious calendar in the Nicene Council. To fix the date of Easter. Now, at that time, Easter, not Christmas, was the major Christian festival. Alright? Easter was the festival which celebrates the supposed resurrection of Christ. So, from that time, 4th century, the Julian calendar is also the Christian calendar. If just by calling it Julian, it doesn't change. But it's called Julian. Why? To emphasize the continuity with Roman emperors and to suppress Egyptian origins. Why should you call it Julian? It's a falsification of history. Falsification is intended to suppress the Egyptian origins. Call it Sausaginous calendar. Because those were pagans, they were enemies of the church. Whereas the Roman emperors were friends of the church. That's how they looked at it. So Easter was defined because it had to coincide earlier. They used to celebrate it along with the Jews. And they said we want to be different. And so it should come on our holy day which is Sunday. And uh, so, but they defined it in relation to the moon because that's how the Jewish festival was defined. So, the first Sunday after the first full moon after the vernal equinox. So, you must know the equinox, you must know the um, phases of the moon, then only you can determine Easter. It becomes a problem. So, in the council of uh, Nisa, they did not know how to do it and they had to call in 
people from Africa, the advanced people who knew some astronomy. But of course there was also a proviso that it should not coincide with the Jews. So the Jewish Passover is like Bakrid, more or less like that, that they sacrifice uh, goat. But if that coincidence occurs, then they will move to the next Sunday. So this is what you had to do. Decide the equinox, decide the lunar cycle. So what was the error in the uh, length of the tropical year? 0.01 days. So 0.01 days in one year means one day in a century. So within a century, the calendar slipped. So when the calendar slipped, what did they do? They tried to reform it. Right? So they reformed most notably by Pope Hilarius. Hilarius. Now the important thing is, they tried the calendar reforms, the reforms failed. Several reforms were attempted, they failed. So until the Gregorian reform, so many, about a thousand years later, the reform didn't succeed. Why did it not succeed? If there were such great astronomers, if there was this great Claudius Ptolemy, if there was this great book called El Majest, why did it fail? Because the church controlled the Roman state at that time. Alright, so if you take somebody like Justinian, he was not only head of the church, he was head of the state. So, they had access to all knowledge in the Roman Empire. So, why could they not fix a simple thing like the length of the year? So, if the calendar reforms failed, that is serious evidence that they lacked knowledge of astronomy in the entire Roman Empire. The book called El Majest, contrary to the stories of Greek glorification that somebody in the second century wrote this out of the blue, complete falsehood. What you have got is a 12th century manuscript, which you juggle the date and try to make it 8th or 9th century. It has it relates to the knowledge of that time, not the knowledge from 7 centuries earlier. We have to have one standard of evidence for everything. So that is a speculation which is added on and it is not uh, worthwhile speculation. Even that book, 12th century book has a slightly better but still incorrect length of the tropical year. It was never used in the Christian calendar. Because the book came to be known only about the 12th, 13th century when it was very difficult to change things. So the point is the failure of the 5th century calendar reforms tells you that the stories of Greek achievements in astronomy are fraudulent based on late texts. Texts cannot be trusted because it, you know I have to learn about Greek language, you have to learn this, you have to learn that. Non-textual evidence is straightforward, robust, does not depend upon trust in any authority and works in a straightforward way. So you see this guy hanging up, uh, upside down with the cross. You see, they've given him a cross. That's Claudius Ptolemy. No relation to the Ptolemy dynasty, supposedly. Which ruled in the same city of Alexandria. So we'll see this uh, significance of that little later. So in contrast, let's take a contrast. What did Indians have? Indians had precise fractions. A very uh, sophisticated way to state them. So the duration of the sidereal year, he used the sidereal year, not the tropical year, I'll come to the significance of that, was stated by Aryabhat in his uh, Aryabhatiya, just in the third Gitika. If you use a large denominator, see you want a precise fraction, you want so many places after the decimal point. If you convert it to a fraction, then you will need a very large denominator. The more precise, the larger the denominator. So the size of the denominator is a measure of the precision of the fraction. So let us see what he says. This is what he says. Now I won't explain the 
Aryabhat's uh, notation. It's explained in my book, Cultural Foundations of Mathematics. It's a very compact notation. That Kyugru is such a big number. And this unpronounceable thing is uh, equally big number. <laughs> Alright, so these are not Sanskrit words. They are just uh, word numerals. Alright, and if you are interested at some stage, we can go into that. Point is, there are very large numbers involved. So, you see how many digits? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. And that's the denominator 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. So, that gives you a very precise fraction. That gives you the length of the sidereal ear as 365.25868. That's how it is calculated. We cannot do it with Roman numerals. Mind you, it's the durational sidereal year, not the tropical year. So, his value, if you compare it to the modern value, is off only in the third decimal place. It's correct to the second decimal place. That means you have an order of magnitude improvement. Alright? So, order of magnitude more accurate is very much more accurate. Unfortunately, some of us much awarded science writers, they didn't notice the difference between sidereal year and tropical year. They said, oh, he's got it wrong by so much. He thought it is more than 365 and one fourth. It is more than 365 and one fourth because the sidereal year, not the tropical year, which is less. So, you need to distinguish between the two. What is the sidereal year? Maybe I should explain that it is uh, based on the motion See, sidereal year is the time period for the earth to complete one orbit. If you understand Newtonian mechanics, for the earth to complete one orbit around the sun, that's the sidereal year. What's the time of the equinox? The time from equinox to equinox is the tropical year. There's a subtle difference between the two because of something called the precession of the equinoxes. See, when a top spins, have you played with a top? The top spins, then it precesses like this. So, the earth's axis also precesses like that and that is what brings about a difference between the two. So, one is greater than 365.25, the other is less. Don't confuse the two. So, this is the summary that I would like to give to start with, that uh, the early Greeks and Romans were inferior and backward in mathematics and astronomy. And this is something you get from the non-textual evidence of the calendar. And non-textual evidence is much more robust than textual evidence, which you don't understand in some different language, which is interpreted for you by somebody, edited for you by somebody else and so on. That way you can manipulate text and you can see even the manipulation of the Bible, the Indian Bibles, which are the oldest Bibles in Aramaic, was so different from the uh, St. James Version or the Vulgate, that when the Portuguese came here, they burnt all the Indian Bibles. They are so different. So you can go on changing these texts, you can go on manipulating these texts and that is an art in itself. Point is the claims of Greek achievements based on late manuscripts, late texts are not valid. You should not trust them. Non-textual evidence is more robust. Alright, so let's go on with the story. So the West inferiority, the Western inferiority in mathematics and science persisted for centuries. Centuries, right? This is, we are starting from Julius Caesar. And then it takes another thousand years before they start even importing uh, Indian mathematics. And the West realized that. See, they don't use Roman numerals anymore except for uh, ritualistic purposes. Right? Everybody uses the Indian algorithmic system. And the West started importing knowledge very systematically during the Crusades. Toledo mass translations and from India, Cochin mass translations. But uh, Indian arithmetic had already started being imported from the 10th century, Cordoba, Kurtoba. 
Khilafat of Kurtaba. So this was imported basically through the Hisab al-Hind of al-Khwarizmi, was called algorithmus, and therefore they are called algorithms. But now you see, you are taught this is Roman numerals and Arabic numerals. Just the shape of the numbers. That's the idea you get to. Maybe you write numbers in that way, you write numbers this way. It wasn't that. Why would they give up? Something much more that the Indian arithmetic was very much more efficient as we saw in calculating big tractions. <coughs> so, the Indian method of arithmetic was wrongly called Arabic numerals because Westerners didn't understand that arithmetic. See, you are get accustomed to doing things in a certain way. They say it must be done in that way. And you don't understand when something completely new is put before you. Hmm? That's what happened. So, the first person to bring them in was Gerbert, very learned man. He is portrayed as a black magician in Christian art. Became a Pope later on. He got it from Cordoba in 976. And he thought that there was some magic in the shape of the numerals. Therefore, he said Arabic numerals. No, something, some magic. <laughs> Do it like that. And uh, he foolishly built an abacus for algorithm because he said arithmetic can only be done by abacus. And that is what makes it inefficient. Roman arithmetic is tied to the abacus. And Indian arithmetic is done with algorithms. You learnt know, how to multiply, how to divide. You learnt those various, you write this number right underneath then multiply it digit by digit. That's the algorithm. And that cannot be done by writing it like this. It's not a question of just having zero there or having a place value system there. You have to use the place value system for algorithms. So this was the Pope's uh, apices as they were called. He got special counters built. He got a special abacus built because he said he's going to do arithmetic with these uh, Arabic numerals. It's a very foolish mistake. And I would like to emphasize these mistakes because there have been so much glorification, constant glorification, this constant thing of Western superiority. So every time you find this, never forget to repeat it a hundred times. Now, what a foolish mistake the guy did. He's supposed to be infallible. He was the most learned man there. But he made this mistake. Now, it made a very natural mistake. But he thought that's the way to do arithmetic. He wrote a book on the backers. But it was a foolish mistake nonetheless. Then Florentine merchants, they said they get a comparative advantage in commerce. And you know, if you go to buy a SIM card, he will give you, you know, five different schemes. How do you evaluate them? But the SIM card probably doesn't matter. But if you're doing a complicated trade, it can make a very big difference. So therefore, they got these techniques for the sake of commerce. They used to trade with the Arabs. But on a large scale, in Europe, practical mathematics was introduced in the Jesuit syllabus by Christoph Clavius only around 1572 as practical mathematics. Clavius was also the author of the Gregorian reform. Gregory was just the Pope. This guy was the chairman of the calendar reform committee. He was a Jesuit general. So he was the brain behind the reform. Now what it did was uh, it corrected the duration of the tropical year. Every hundredth year was made not a leap year. And every thousandth year was made a leap year. So what's the correction? So 365.25 minus 0 0.01 every hundredth year you knock off. Okay? And then you add. So plus 0 0.001 so it should be 365.241. Well, actually, it should be included there, but it's all right. You can leave it at that, 365.24. That would be more accurate. But the point is, exact figure is not important. It's 24, all right. How did Clavius arrive at this figure? What did he do to arrive at it? Did he make observations? What did he do? 
What was his process? He didn't make observations. Europeans didn't know what the length of the tropical year was. Alright? It was based on imported documents. And how do we know that? See, of course, there was Tycho Brahe, who was a contemporary of Clavius, but his masonry instruments were too far too erroneous. They did not have the masonry skills. See, we know that because so many people in Europe, including Isaac Newton, rejected the reform. They said it's a papal plot. That's what the Protestants said. And ultimately, Britain accepted it only after 1752. From 1582 was the reform and they accepted it in 1752. So why? If they knew this is the length, then why would they object? They did not know. They were not sure. Nobody was sure about it. So they got it from documents. Where did they get those documents? They did not know the right length of the year in 17th century. They got the documents. Pope told some story, some Luigi, something, something. That those documents should have been there all along. Why suddenly now after so many years, so many centuries, something new came in. And the new thing was contact with India. So, a Clavius student and a Jesuit spy. See, people didn't have the concept in India that Jesuits can be their holy men. How can they be spies? They were spies, they were military people, they did all sorts of stuff. Matthew Ritchie was a particularly learned chap. So he was Clavius' favorite student. And he had learnt about navigation, he had learnt about various things. He passed through his practical mathematics course and he was in India. He was in India, he was in Cochin. And he was trying to understand Indian methods of timekeeping at the time of the calendar reform. And he was sending this information back to Rome. which reached back to Clavius. And we know that he also took the trigonometric tables where Clavius published in 1608 trigonometric tables with 10 decimal precision available only in India. That kind of precision was not available anywhere else in the world. But he did not know how to measure the size of the earth. It's a very simple thing. If you know trigonometry, you should be able to measure that. My students are able to do it. I'll just show you a picture of them. But he didn't know that. And the first supposed measurement, well, people are not sure. In 1672, it was done. Now, this is Ritchie's original handwritten letter, where he says he is searching for, this is from 1581. So, he says he is searching for an honorable moor, muiro honorado, or an intelligent Brahmin, to tell him about the methods of keeping time. Chronicas das tiempos. Hmm? Indian methods of timekeeping is what he was learning from and Cochin was the center for that, for those manuscripts. That's from where these manuscripts went. Now I want to, so they got it like this, but why were they so keen to carry out this at that point of time? Why were they so keen to get those trigonometric values at that point of time? Because they had a practical purpose. People only talk of the calendar reform as if it was a religious thing, but it had a practical purpose because the calendar has to serve a practical purpose. And that practical purpose was related to wealth. Just as crusades, you talk about religion, but they were related to wealth because the uh, Muslims were very rich at that point of time. So, good calendar was needed for navigation and navigation was the key means of wealth. That was the basis of their dream. That they will trade with India and they will make money, but if you make money and your ship sinks, it's no good. If you die in the process, it's no good. <laughs> right? So you have to have a good method of navigation for trade, overseas trade to be successful. And in India, this has been going on for 5,000 years. So what do you do? Why particularly a calendar? 
because they did not even know how to determine latitude. All these people, they write stories about longitude, but basic thing is latitude. They could not determine latitude. Because, how do you measure latitude in the daytime? You measure solar altitude at noon. But, for that, you need to have a good calendar. If you don't know the right date of equinox, you cannot determine it. Your uh, latitude will be off by 4 or 5 degrees. That's enough for you to die. That's too much of an error. So, this is described in Bhaskar 1, Lagu Bhaskari, how to do that. It's a very simple method. Solar altitude at noon, declination and local latitude. So, the formula is given like this. I will give it to you in simple language which you can understand. So, that's the formula. That's the altitude, that's the declination, that's the radius of your circle and that's your local latitude phi. Greek letters. Use them in mathematics. Huh? <laughs> Alright. So, there's a simple formula which connects this. Now, what you do is you measure the altitude of the sun when it's at its highest point on the prime vertical. That's measured. The solar declination is to be calculated, determined from the calendar. That's why you need a good calendar. And local latitude is what you want to determine at sea. Alright? So, this is the simple formula. So, you measure the uh, uh, solar altitude and you are able to determine, provided you have a good calendar. So, if the date of equinox is wrong, it was wrong by 10 days, then the calendar is not going to work you are going to sink and that is the reason it was done. That's why it was also accepted later on. Now, you need one more thing. I just want to point some of these things out. That is the Ahargan, the day number, day count. Maya also had similar day count. So, Ahargan is something which is used today for scientific purposes because that's the most scientific way of doing it. You don't get involved in questions of month and this and that. You're just counting the number of civil days. It is called the Julian day number. If you see NASA things, then they put out uh, data. It will give you in terms of Julian day number. Who was the Julius? The different Julius. He was the father of Julius Caligar, who was a contemporary of Clavius. And he got this information again from India and he used it without acknowledgement because the idea is you glorify yourself by attaching a we thought of it. How did they think of it? The organ was there. And just when there is such extensive contact, when the Portuguese are here and they are sending things back, suddenly they make this independent discovery. That's like, that's what the West keeps doing all the time, claiming independent rediscovery. Just when dependent discovery is possible, that's nonsense. So, the correct method of navigation was needed to determine latitude at sea, which needed the calendar reform. Vasco da Gama and Columbus did not know how to do determine latitude. So, you can see my book on that. Vasco da Gama came to India with the help of an Indian navigator called Kanak, whom he calls Kana. He didn't understand his method. He said the pilot is telling the distance by his teeth. That's the nonsense he wrote. And he wrote that because he was using the pole star. And pole star is called cow. He used a particular language called Arabic Malayalam. And the word for cow is also the word for teeth. So, he misunderstood. This is what happens. Didn't apply his common sense. But anyway, coming back to the calendar... To determine latitude at sea, you require that. Vasco da Gama and Columbus didn't know how to do it. So, you required that. Alright, now I want to say, after the Gregorian reform, is everything alright? So, yesterday was equinox. Okay, does it come on the same day? Will it always come on the same day? Does equinox always come on the same day? On this Gregorian calendar, it doesn't come on the same day. It goes on changing. So, the length of the year, because its only purpose was to fix the date of Easter, not to fix the date of equinox, which is the natural thing. It was for a religious ritual. 
So it doesn't fix the rate of uh, the date of equinox correctly, only on an average. So it fluctuates. Alright? Still doesn't come on, so it is still an erroneous calendar, despite the Gregorian reform. You should have equinox coming on a fixed date. So it's still faulty. Alright, so let me go on to the Indian calendar and tell you something about it in contrast. The Indian calendar has been in continuous use for a very long time since the Rig Veda and the Vedanga Jyotish. Now this term Jyotish is not about astrology. I have a 15 year old standing challenge to show me one single sentence about astrology in the Vedanga Jyotish. It's a scientific manual on timekeeping. It's only about timekeeping and we know its date pretty precisely. At least from minus 1500 is the last count. So this was a public challenge made in front of the international press 15 years ago that there is no astrology in the Vedanga Jyotish. So the Indian Panchang is a lunisolar calendar. It's not a lunar calendar. It's not that, you know, people say, oh, solar calendar, lunar calendar. No, it's not like that. There is no dichotomy of that sort. It keeps track of both the sun and the moon. The month is right, always 30 days, and the year is right. We already saw that. So month always has 30 tithis. How is that? Because the tithi is defined as the time it takes for the sun and moon to move apart by 12 degrees. So 12 into 30, 360. So after 30 tithis, it will come back. But a tithi is not a solar day. It is not a civil day. It's a lunar day. So converting one to the other, converting it to the hargan requires calculation. These calculations are all performed in a standard way in Indian text. But you have to keep that in mind. It's not a civil day. You can have a loop tithi, you can have an additional tithi and so on. Just as you can have uh, intercalary months, because these months will not equal, uh, 12 months will not give you a year, full year, so you have to have intercalary months, adhik mass. Now, this uh, Indian astronomy went far and wide. It went to Persia, it went to Arabs, it went to, though they have a lunar calendar, they had similar astronomical models. It went to China, Buddhists took it to China. And it was accreted into the Almagest. If you take a 12th century manuscript, why should they keep sticking to the 2nd century knowledge? If something is better comes across, they will update it. If you read a computer text, are you going to read a computer text from uh, 30 years ago? 30 years ago or 40 years ago when India was making its first computer, old app, which is to occupy a whole room, but it didn't speak any decent language. So you want scientific knowledge to be up to date. So if you take a 12th century manuscript in the Almagest, it will reflect 12th century knowledge, including knowledge that went from India. So the point is, if there is similarity, it does not mean transmission from Greeks to Indians. That's a wrong uh, inference. So you take the 12th century, it is transmission from uh, India into the Greek text. That's an alternative hypothesis. You decide between the two on the strength of the evidence. Now that I have discussed elsewhere, I am not going into that. It was transmitted to a lot of places. The Egyptian calendar and the Maya calendar are remarkably similar. Maya also had a day count. And uh, the Indian scientific calendar begins with the Kali era, you know, not your, <coughs> which is minus 3102. The Maya calendar begins with minus 3112, 10 days and 5000 years. That's no difference at all. Very insignificant difference. So this suggests that there was a common astronomical model being used. And that has not been studied. They say, oh, how could they go across the sea? If a fellow like Columbus with no knowledge of navigation could get across, why couldn't they get across when they had such good knowledge of navigation, they had such a good calendar, they had good knowledge of astronomy? Of course, they should be able to get across. The Pacific Islanders could get across. 
<laughs> it's absurd to say that they couldn't travel across. All right. So there would have been connections and we'll look at that. I'm actually going to visit some of the Maya pyramids and so on and look at them myself. Anyway, let's get back to the Indian calendar. So the two key means of wealth production in India, because most of your activities relate to that. They were agriculture and overseas trade. So you have to relate uh, this to that and the successful practice of both required a good calendar to determine the rainy season and good knowledge of astronomy to build a good calendar and for celestial navigation. Alright, so for both of these things this was done and that is why all these early cultures focus on astronomy. Important for them, for agriculture and for overseas trade. And India was very wealthy in the past. Why did all these guys come? They came to make money. They were extremely poor. Alright, they were attracted to the India, attracted invaders like flies because there was so much wealth waiting to be picked. And that shows that whatever science and technology existed in India was successful. For overseas trade, for production, it was successful. Although Western historians don't admit it and they talk all sorts of nonsense, for example, about the navigational instruments. Now, I won't get into that. Just give you one simple example. Size of the earth. So, India is a vast country. Alright, so latitude, longitude varies. So, if you make the calendar in one place, for example, Ujjaini, now the meridian of Greenwich is uh, copied from the meridian of Ujjaini. That is how the calendar was calibrated to Ujjain. And it had to be calibrated. So, you have to determine latitude, longitude. How do you do it? You need to know the size of the earth. It's a scientific thing. It was not known. Columbus uh, had a wrong estimate, 40% off. Alright. Indian figures are given in Jojan, so you cannot do it directly, but you can check it with Albiruni's estimates, which are given in Arabic meal. Now, Arabic meal and English miles, you can correlate very well. This has been very well studied, and so you know that his estimate was very, very accurate. And uh, it's a you think 0.25% was his error compared to Columbus' error of 40% or Newton's initial error of 25%. Now what happened? Okay, so we had a very good calendar. It was very successful. We could calculate the size of the earth. We could do all this. After colonization, of course, I mean, during colonization we changed things. But after colonization, what happened when we became independent? So we had a calendar reform committee. Because during colonialism, you were taught. Remember the first lesson that everything Indian is inferior. Everything Western is superior. Don't have to apply your mind. Don't have to apply your common sense. So, we did the right thing, we followed the right process and as we know, anybody who has dealt with the bureaucracy knows, you follow the right process and you can get all entirely wrong results. <laughs> Alright. So, we appointed Meghnath Saha, he had a calendar reform committee and he said for calendarical purpose, it is unmeaning to use the sidereal year. Why? Because seasons are determined by the position of the sun. It's complete. So, he condemned Indian calendars wholesale, the book had to be banned. The report had to be banned. The government published it, then banned it. So, he recommended, of course, the adoption of the Gregorian calendar, which we did. Now, what I want to say is that what Saha stated that it's obvious that the tropical year should be used for seasons is completely wrong. He should have thought of basic issues. What is the source of wealth in this country? Most people depend on agriculture. Agriculture is monsoon dependent. And therefore, you have to have a way of finding out monsoons. You have to have a way of determining the rainy season. How do you determine the rainy season on the Gregorian calendar? 
You can't determine it. So that's the most important season. But every child in India understands what is Savan Bhado. It is part of the culture. Mere, Naina, Savan Bhado, whatever. I mean, whatever you think of it, every child knows about it. It's entrained into the culture. So, now, he should say, if it is obvious, he should say why this is wrong. If it were wrong, the practice of agriculture would not have succeeded. It's a matter of elementary common sense. He didn't apply it. And we just accepted it. Alright? So, you cannot have the Gregorian calendar which has a wrong concept of rainy season. Let's look at, uh, I mean, Saha just assumed it. So, his physics was also bad. Let's see why his physics was bad. So, what do you need to know to determine the monsoon? You want to know what's the wind circulation. You want to know about the moisture balance. You don't want to know about the heat balance. For the west, it's alright, hot, cold. They don't have a third season like a rainy season. All the time it might be raining. So, you want to determine how air circulates. But how does air circulate? Yes, the sun is a driving force. But what happens? Hot air rises at the equator. It doesn't go to the poles and come back in a convection current. It's not a simple, simplistic convection current. Why not? Because the earth is rotating. And so it gets deflected because of something, a fictitious force called the Coriolis force which depends upon the distant stars. So it gets deflected. It descends at the horse latitudes. Horse latitudes because the cold air rises and the hot air descends. And those are, by the way, the arid zones. But that's a... There are many such because the sidereal motion of the earth See, the point is, Newtonian physics uses a, what is called an inertial reference frame. The earth is not an inertial reference frame. And therefore, you have these fictitious forces. If I am sitting in a car and I turn it fast, I will get pushed out. Fictitious doesn't mean you won't feel it. You feel it. But it's a centrifugal force. It's a fictitious force. It is because your frame is not inertial that it is happening. Then nobody is pushing you. Because you are moving with respect to the distant stars. That's Newtonian physics, huh? not astrology. The concept of inertial frame is defined like that in Newtonian physics. So, earth is not an inertial frame. Therefore, you have these fictitious forces, which depend upon its sidereal motion. Whether going like this or rotating, so those forces have to be taken into account, so you need to know about the sidereal. It's nothing obvious about it. When you are looking at wind circulation, it's an important factor in wind circulation. The other thing is the motion of the moon. You have lunar tides. You know about tides in the sea. Tides in the air are huge because the density of air is very little compared to the density of seawater. And so far as gravitational is concerned, the lunar tidal force is much larger than the solar tidal force because it depends on the distance, a difference of two inverse squares. So it goes as the inverse cube of the distance. And therefore, although the sun is so much more massive, the moon is so much closer, therefore the lunar tidal forces are stronger. So, what is the effect of those lunar tidal forces and all these forces on global circulation? Nobody has done it. NASA says it's a grand challenge problem when we are building that CDAC supercomputer. I was supposed to implement one of these things, programs. Not possible to do it then. And Saha says it's obvious. <laughs> How can it be obvious? Okay. So, it's completely wrong to say it's obvious. Now, I want to compare, give you some empirical data of what happened. In 2004, this was a headline. Drought drips half the country. See what is happening. Bad time for people. But when I was reading it, I was laughing. Why should I laugh at the plight of others? Right? The reason was that I got this paper in Bhopal a day later. 
and it was raining cats and dogs. And next day there was a huge flood in Bombay. So they're talking about drought relief when actually people needed flood relief. The same thing happened in uh, 2009. I have some sporadic clippings. So this is what happened in 2009. India faces monsoon washout. Tempers rise. Water power shortfall. Right? Government scrambles to save Kharif. Deficient rain in so many districts. 2009 again. And the point is in uh, 2005, the monsoon came on time. It was delayed on the Gregorian calendar. It came on time on the Indian calendar. And here you see this poor guy is completely ruined. He is dead. Because if he doesn't get uh, the rain, then he is just going to literally starve to death. And you see what is happening. Prayers being done, frogs being married, all sorts of things just for rain. Because rain is so very important, you will do anything. Just to get rain because it is a matter of your survival. Right? And then, again floods. <laughs> so you see these guys, so much flooding in Delhi, there is a terrific traffic jam. And this guy is sleeping because he can't move. And then you see the Yamuna is going to burst its banks. So that is the danger of floods. You are preparing for a drought. And this thing keeps happening. This is, so I will skip this because I have already told you that. 2005, oh, let me skip all this. And the same thing happened in 2014, last year. Uh, where is it gone? Yes, this is 2014. Each, each year this keeps happening and if you tell them they spend crores for drought relief, you say please spend something on knowledge. No, no, we don't want knowledge. What we want are cricketers, neta and abhineta. Hmm? We don't want knowledge in this country. We are not going to spend any money for it. Then this is what is going to keep happening. <laughs> right? If you teach knowledge with contempt, then this is what happens. So this is uh, what happened then and then lots of things have come in the newspapers. I wrote, there was a national year of uh, mathematics. I wrote about it and somebody else also wrote uh, that it depends on the sidereal year. Please investigate what happened, why are we accepting it and so on. Okay, so now let me come back. I started with religious politics. Let me come back to that. That just as most people can't tell their date of birth. Can you tell your date of birth on the Indian calendar? You don't know, you have no idea. Hmm? So, you can't tell the Indian holidays, how do you determine when is Diwali, when is Holi? You don't know, somebody has to tell you. It doesn't come naturally. But if I ask you what's the date of Christmas, what's the date of New Year, you'll be able to tell me. Right? That's easy. So, something which is part of your culture has been made so difficult for you that most people can't do it. That's what's called alienation. So, Holi... Depends on Purnima, depends on the cycle of the moon. Diwali depends on Amavasya. Buddha Purnima, Mahavir Jayanti, these all depend on the lunar phases. They are movable on the Gregorian calendar. So you cannot determine them just like that. And you are alienated from that. Now I want to conclude with one last point, which is that we have two secular festivals. Not dependent on any religion. Not Hinduism, not Buddhism, not Jainism, not Islam. Okay, so they are Independence Day and Republic Day. How are they defined? They are defined only on the Gregorian calendar. Alright, which is the ritual, Christian ritual calendar. Why is that done? If it's a secular festival, define it on a secular calendar. Why should you define it on a Christian ritual calendar? Doesn't make any sense to me. Either you say we don't want secularism or you say we want secularism. Make it secular. 
just making it Christian doesn't make it secular. That's a wrong concept that everything Western is secular. Mind of Western man was dominated by the church. Okay, so let me conclude. First of all, the Gregorian calendar is an unscientific calendar. Months are all wrong, hopelessly wrong. Manifestly wrong. So, when we talk of scientific temper, we should reject it. Just for that reason. That is unscientific. Alright. The year is also wrong except on an average. So, we should have a better thing which gives you an equinox on a fixed date. Second thing, it provides non-textual evidence of persistent Greek and European, well, Roman, European inferiority in math and astronomy contrary to all their tall stories. Which is just speculation based on text. Makes no sense. It's not proper history. It lacks the concept of a rainy season, the Gregorian calendar. Therefore, it harms our economic interests, fundamental economic interests. Even once upon a time, India was a country of farmers. Even now, there is about 58% in, the, into, in agriculture. 58% of our labor is still in agriculture. And most of it is not irrigated. It's all monsoon dependent. It's alienating. Completely diverts, I mean, uh, diverses you from your culture. You cannot know what your basic festivals are. But you know what other festivals are. Okay, and what happens with the Indian Luni Salwar calendar? It's a scientific calendar. It is better than the Gregorian calendar. Okay, at least it has the accurate length of the year. It has the accurate way of doing months and so on. Similar astronomy was used worldwide. China, Arabs, possibly Egyptians and Mayas. Alright. So, whether it gives a correct account of the monsoon at present, it was successful in the past. So, you cannot just abandon it. At least you have some model which worked in the past. Why should you accept something which has no model at all like the Gregorian calendar which doesn't tell you anything about the rainy season. And our two secular festivals should not be defined solely on the Christian ritual calendar. We need to give a primary definition on some other calendar and then say, okay, this is what the date is. Alright, so that's what I would like to say. Thank you. Very much.